everyone, and welcome back once again to the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast, where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. As always, I'm your host. My name is Brian Vitale. I've got the usual crew here today in full. We've got Josh Torres, Adam Vitale. Hello. James Galizio. Hey, folks. And Chow Min Wu. Hello. Welcome to episode 250 of the TetraCast. Now, we haven't all been here for all 250 of those. There was a gap a few years back before we kind of rebooted it. It's been this usual crew for probably like the last two years or so. Uh, And I wish it was a more exciting week, potentially, to be the 250th episode because it uh, was recently Golden Week in Japan. So the amount of news on that front uh, has been pretty quiet. The release schedule in the first week of May has been kind of bare. We've been all kind of going through our backlogs or playing a indie games or other other things that we had had time to get around to it's been a weird week uh we have a couple major headlines but other than that uh this is going to be maybe a bit of a weird one because a lot of us are just sort of finishing through what we've been starting while we look forward to uh the games that have been dotting the release calendar in the back half of the year so we'll just kind of see where it goes i wish we had something more exciting to talk about for big 250 but it is what it is we'll just go through it i'll just start with the new game that came out uh this week what game is that? What did anything come out this week? <laughs> oh, I mean, not for RPGs, but James played uh, Trek to Yomi. Oh, okay. I, yeah, well, I guess we can just go ahead and right, plow right into that. So, uh, let's see. Yeah, we can just go ahead and start with Trek to Yomi, and we'll just kind of go through Round Robin and see what other people have been playing after that. But I had not heard of Trek to Yomi. I don't know anything about this. So, uh, we'll just start out with James. What is this game, and how did you feel about it? So, it's a 2D action game, kind of structured like one of the earlier Resident Evils, but side-scrolling, if that makes any sense. Oh, is uh, it like or, fixed camera angle? Oh, no, you said yeah, 2D. Fixed. What well, do you mean, what do you mean structured by like earlier Resident Evils? Um, so I guess it would be more like Onimusha than that case, because it's samurai-based. Um, the way the game works is that you have a number of chapters, and uh, you're going through a level basically linearly. There's sometimes like side paths that you can find if you look for them. Most of the game is played on a 2D plane, or okay. I guess 2.5D. Is there, is, there, is there ever like any point where there's like weird fixed ca- like isometric camera angles like Resident Evil? Yes, and there's okay. also definitely cases where. While I would say like 80% of the game is very strictly like a 2D plane, like any place you're going to have combat in is going to be a 2D plane. You can only move left to right um, just because combat is completely made with uh, just 2D in mind. It's it's already kind of janky with 2D and we'll get to that in a bit. And and, and to end it like the the big highlight visually for people like this, this entire game is a grayscale. It's all... Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. And I and I know that like a lot of people made a stink, or maybe not a stink. That's probably not the best way to put it. They uh, thought that the grayscale mode for Ghost of Tsushima, which was very what, which was supposedly inspired by Kurosawa, Kurosawa uh, mode, yeah, wasn't very good because it was very clear the game wasn't made with it in mind. Mm-hmm. So you had some weird moments where, in color, the scene would look right, but then you put it to black and white and it just looks totally like overexposed or underexposed just based off of the area because it's a simple filter. The game was not designed with that art style in mind. Uh, Trek Tiomi is the opposite. Uh, no matter 
what you feel or how you feel about pretty much everything else in the game. The one thing that's pretty unanimous is that the art style and the way that they actually make the game have some of that Kurosawa feel uh, feel with uh, the grayscale and how the um, contrast really, really works um, within the context of the game. It's really good. Like it, it seeing screenshots is probably enough to tell you like how the game will look and feel like from a visual standpoint, but just seeing it actually run is uh, another thing entirely. And it's like, I will get to the problems with the combat. And I feel like a lot of the people that have played this game and were either middling on it or even dropped it, didn't like the combat. Uh, but the art style is definitely uh, a highlight. Yeah, that's how, that seems to be like the the unanimous like like you know despite everything that you know we've had issues with, they're like this game is visually striking. It doesn't compromise on it. There's not like the the grayscale mode isn't like an optional mode. That that's the default. That's the only way to play yeah. the game. Okay. Yeah, the only options are if you want to disable like uh, I think some bloom and like the grain filter, but the grain filter is good enough and it has like that kind of. Uh, there's a very, very slight filter that gives the presentation a bit of visual noise, kind of like if you're watching a really, really old film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it works out well, kind of in a similar way to how Cuphead's uh, visual uh, filters kind of um, work. Okay. Um, I, I think the, the the one complaint I've seen from a number of people visually on it is like the, the depth of field effect seems to be very, it's either too intense or it's distributed in a way that like it hurts their eyes. Yeah, I didn't get that, but I can see how some people would have okay. that problem. In um, general, I kind of like when there's a little bit of film grain, as long as it's not like too obvious. It's one of those things where it has to be subtle enough that you almost don't notice it until it's pointed out. I'm thinking about like uh, when when old anime is going to get like de or recolorized and like smeared because they pull out the film grain or there's some games that have film grain, but the effect is just way too powerful. So I like having I a would, little bit of it usually. Yeah, I would definitely say that it nails that balance pretty well should i talk about the gameplay first or should i talk about the story I'll what do you think about- what, what, what do you what do you think makes sense like you know is the story compelling like is that the thing that like uh, keeps you like going through like the main driving force it's all right but i do have to admit that as i was playing through this and this is mostly a personal problem i just kept thinking about a, a friend of the site and former contributor uh, uh kazuma is um thoughts and feelings on a bunch of these samurai media and how it kind of whitewashes the actual reality of what they did. Right. And, right. and it's like, it, it's nothing against the game itself. And again, this is like a personal issue. It's just like, eh, because well, what's the, what's the setup? What's the premise here? Uh, basically the very, very, um, so the first chapter you play as a kid and, um, you're like you have the very, very brief tutorial where you are training with your master. He gets called off and uh, you go after him because you and his daughter realize something's wrong. And you and the main character is desperate to help defend his uh, town, his village. So basically the entire beginning well the entire first half of the first chapter is just running through the village kind of like getting a quick glimpse of how it's laid out and whatnot and then you're out well then you're outside the gates and you're 
pushing off these bandits. And uh, the end of the first chapter, basically, your master repels the bandit leader, but he gets mortally wounded and uh, he dies. And the main character promises to protect the village in his stead. Then there's like a time skip. I don't know how long it is. I'm guessing like 10 years, something like that. 15, maybe. I don't know. It doesn't say. Um, and you take control of the same kid as before, but now he's all grown up and he's got an enhanced repertoire of uh, moves with his samurai sword and whatnot. And you find out that there has been a number of uh, villages nearby that have been ransacked by bandits. And right then a uh, person, a survivor from the most recent village village raid um, collapses into town and you take the opportunity to try and uh, cut off the bandits uh, before they have a chance to uh, like, settle at that village are, are these bandits like high. unified like are they are or are they just kind of like like are they related to the attack from earlier or are they under like an a, a common banner or are they just kind of like random bandits that's a spoiler sounds like the plot of seven samurai i'm yeah. gonna say like <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it's the story even if someone that hasn't watched too many samurai films i can tell it's very very basic <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I mean, it works. It doesn't need to be. Yeah, doesn't need to reinvent the wheel. Um. Eventually, and and then the title you have Trek to Yomi, which basically is Trek to the Underworld. Uh. At the end of chapter three, your character basically gets their shit handed to them. They die, and then the rest of the game. Well, the latter half of the game takes place in the underworld, and you're basically trying to find a way out to. Uh, avenge your men and your village that eventually succumbed to the bandits. Okay. All right. So it's the story's all right. There's um some interesting stuff with the collectibles. It's all like Japanese folklore inspired and whatnot, but it's it's definitely not the reason I would play the game, which is a bit of a problem because the gameplay is also not a reason I would play the game. Um, yeah, I've heard, I've heard a lot of complaints, so the, you know, let's, let's break it down. What's, what's going on? So I think the main issue with the game is the combat feels too stiff. And like the game's tutorial is very, very brief. And I don't feel like does an adequate job actually explaining how the game is played. Uh, so you have a very, very basic combo when you start the game and you just slowly gain more attack combos and skills as you go through the adventure. And the problem is, is that the original tutorial wasn't very good to begin with. But whenever you get a new move, which or I, I mean, new combos that have different attributes to the attacks in them, all you'll get is a little pop up in the upper left corner that'll stick around for like five seconds before disappearing. And if you want to know what that combo does, you you'll, you're going to have to go into the pause menu and like highlight that combo specifically to figure out, okay, what does the final attack in this combo string do? Which is important because I've seen a lot of people that said, oh, well, I saw this tutorial for executions and how it's supposed to let you like replenish health, but how the hell do I do executions? It says RB. When I do RB, it doesn't do anything. It says that you need to stun them, but I don't know how to stun them. 
The pro- part of the problem is, is that there's only specific attacks that stun enemies, and they come from specific combos. And okay, so the, so let, let, let me let me try to get this straight. So when you see the RB on top of like the enemy, that just doesn't mean that it's like it's available. You have to stun them first. No, 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 no. Okay. Uh, there is no um, buttons above enemies in order to do uh, specific attacks. If an enemy's stunned, they'll have like some stars above their head, and that's your opportunity to uh, use RB to finish them and yeah. uh, get some health back. Okay. And another thing people talked about in some reviews even was um so it's on a 2d plane but you can while you can move left and right you can't turn you don't turn around when you move left and right you're going to stay facing one direction you have to press A to switch directions. Oh, that's weird. It reminds me of a fucking. Uh, it reminds me of a manual air uh, turning in Persona 4 Arena. Yeah. <laughs> and it's that's definitely weird. weird, but it does make more sense when you realize that there are actually some combo strings that you can execute mm-hmm. that flip you automatically. But there are only combo strings that you do when you're like, okay, I'm going to attack behind me. It flips me automatically, and then I have like unique combo strings I can execute from here. Hmm. And um, one of the things that I uh, noticed uh, fairly early on was that there was a specific combo you could do from behind you that is a quicker flurry of, well, a a quicker, like, combo of strikes than your regular, like, light hit combo. So most of the game i was deliberately facing away from enemies so i could do the backwards combo even though the game says always face your opponents and it's like this feels this feels cheap especially when there's an alternate version of that combo string that ends on an attack that can stun and i say an alternate version of the combo string like the regular combo string is three light attacks the alternate version is a light attack and then a heavy attack so it's super quick, and if you stun an en- well, if you stun an enemy, an execution's instant. So there's some enemies that would take like a lot of hits to kill. I would just do the backwards combo, which is the one light attack, one heavy attack. They're stunned. I immediately execute them, and I move move on. And- so this uh, this this mechanic of having to deliberately input when you want to change direction it feels good for combat but not good for just general movement and traversal yeah but also i'm not even sure if it would feel good for combat because a lot of people just didn't understand how it worked but i wouldn't blame them because the game does a really poor job of explaining it's the abilities when you get them it does it's the best way to put this its tutorial should have been longer like Mm -hmm. just straight up like, and one thing that really confused me is that apparently there is a counterattack system, but the timing for it's so strict. And very specifically, the tutorial tries to teach you that. And there's even like a little counter where it's like counter hit zero out two. If you fail enough times, it just skips entirely and moves on with the story. <laughs> so All you, right. so it's like they you, knew you have a say the timing. This? No, it just does it automatically. So the game knew that the timing was too strict. And I thought, oh, well... Maybe I finally got it two times. Maybe the counter's just bugged. And no, I looked it up later. It's just that the timing's super strict. And for for whatever reason, they were just like, 
I'm, I'm sure somebody at Devolver just said, look, this is the timing is too strict. Do they need to know this to, to finish the game? No. Okay. Just have it so that you automatically continue after like a certain number of failed attempts. And it's like, like, I get like, the why game not just... is its own worst enemy? Cause the combat, even though it's not amazing, I feel like if you take the time to read over what tools you have at your disposal and play the game, I guess on its own merits, it's, it's fun enough. It has a decent enough flow, but I can't blame anyone that gets frustrated or doesn't enjoy the gameplay based off of what's like conveyed to them because the game just does a terrible job at, at, at letting you know what you can and can't do. It's, I don't think I've really played a game like this where it's like, the combat itself is fine, but the tutorial is so threadbare and so poor that most of the people playing it are just completely missing some fairly vital like aspects of its design. And that's not to say that the combat's near anything perfect, because like one of the main mechanics of the game is parries, but there's like two bosses like in stage like four and five where very specifically you cannot parry their attacks. You have to dodge them because there's like a dodge roll, but the game doesn't really point out that you have a dodge roll. And if you do figure it out, you can't really use it in combat with normal enemies because you can't dodge through them. But these so it bosses, teaches you one thing and then like expects you to do another thing. Yeah. And it's like and then these bosses, you have to dodge roll and you can roll through them, even though you can't roll through any other enemy in the game. So when you say <laughs> yeah. it's when, so when you say it has poor tutorial tutorialization, it's not only that it doesn't implement like a good teaching moment, but it doesn't even implement it into like organically teaching itself. you. Yeah. 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 No. Uh, that's always frustrating because it's it's one of those things that it's hard to point out in the moment. Because it just frustrates when you're like, you don't know what you're supposed to be doing. And then you're like, wait a minute, how was I ever supposed to know this? Like, that's not how yeah. the game has worked up to this point. Yeah, it sounds frustrating. Yeah. Are you playing this on Game Pass? Oh, yeah. And that's the other thing I wanted to mention. Um, I started off playing it on uh, Series X because I figured, well, um, it's a reason to use the Series X. Surely it'll run perfectly fine at 4K60. Surely. Um, apparently this has pretty massive performance issues on both uh, Series X and PS5. Well, massive isn't the right word. It has pretty frequent frame drops. And in a game where parrying is like with a tight timing is part of the bread and butter of combat. It's really frustrating. And I'm not sure if it's just frame drops or frame pacing is also part of it, but it's just. I did the first level well the first chapter and half of the second chapter then i just switched to pc because the performance issues on series x were frustrating enough that i just didn't want to deal with it anymore um and uh, i haven't played it on ps5 obviously because game pass i i didn't actually pay for the game uh apparently the ps5 version is a similar issue so uh if you're going to play this probably play it on pc i was just gonna ask you know you you mentioned that the game provides such a lousy tutorial, but I was just wondering if they're they're trying to copy the the Souls trend where you know the game doesn't really provide you with too much detail and it's more of like experimentation. And they just did like a really poor job at it, or it's just well the thing is though, is that it does give you the information if you look for it, but it doesn't do nearly a good enough job 
conveying that organically that it's like, this is a short game. Like I would say if it wasn't for some frustrations with uh, some of those later bosses before I realized, Oh, I have to dodge roll. You can't parry these attacks, even though you can parry literally everything else in the game. Uh, I think my final playtime was just under four hours. Yeah, so it's like, I feel like without that, it would be around three hours, which means it's about the, the length of an ab- <laughs> a modern movie, something mm-hmm. like that. But uh, I mean, it's a, it's an easy enough comparison. Well, thanks for telling us about your time with Trek to Yomi, available on Game Pass. Uh, it sounds like playing it on PC, if you've got access there, is the most uh, adept way of doing that. And we'll just continue going round around round robin across the participants here of the podcast. Adam, we talked last week about how you are currently still in the middle of getting set up at your new place. And in the meantime, while you don't have your normal PC and console set up that you've been playing, I, th- I assume still a bunch of 3DS games. So uh, last time you were able to talk about some of your uh, NES classics that you played with Zelda 1 and Zelda 2. And it sounds like you kind of stayed on that trek by going into another Zelda game that I don't think many of us here have played. Tell us a little bit about your time with The Legend of Zelda Triforce Heroes. Yeah, so... I said last week that I hadn't, I played almost every Zelda game, but except the first two. So I just decided I have my 3DS. I have like the virtual console versions of those games on 3DS. Might as well play them. And then after that, I was thinking like, all right, just thinking to myself, which Zelda game have I yet to play? And really the only one besides like CDI stuff. Well, was I mean, you, know what's, you know what's next now, right? Yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> Um, anyways, so Triforce Heroes is basically the same type of Zelda game that Four Swords Adventure on GameCube is, in that it's not less, it's less so like a normal traditional Zelda and more like a level based kind of like game, like action game that's level based um, with sort of like Zelda mechanics. And it's also similar to Four Swords Adventure in that. Uh, is obviously complete. It is designed to play with multiple players. Um, although you can play through the entire game in single player, though that's not really the best way to play it at all. Um, so it is a level based game. It's just like, you know, classic Mario style where you have like eight worlds and then like four stages per world. And, um, only you're doing Zelda type of mechanics rather than platforming. And obviously Triforce Heroes, you're, it's a 3DS game. You're meant to play it like online with other, uh, you know, 3DS players, three, up, to, up to two others, so three total, hence Triforce. Uh, but I just played it by myself. Anyways, uh, I actually think that like, the, if you were able to play this game with friends and you're able to like find a way or, you know, scheduling to like play through the whole game together, it could be a lot of fun. But playing single player, there are so many moments when you like run into like a, t- a puzzle or a boss that is very, very obviously meant to be played with multiple players. I, you don't even have to say which boss gave you trouble in the first place. And I already know it's the one with the minecarts, isn't it? There is a handful of them. Uh, there's a minecart boss that basically throws a ton of bombs at you, like like Zelda bombs. You know how those work, right? And... If you're playing single player, there's just so many bombs that you have to try to like, like scramble and pick up and throw back. Obviously, if you had like two other people helping you, it would be a lot easier. But it was like not like I, I'm obviously I don't I haven't like tested this for sure, but it felt like it, it was 
they're not tweaked at all for single player play, the amount of bombs you have to deal with. Um, so there's that one. There's another boss that you basically like, uh, you sort of surround them with the three characters, you get them to come after one and then uh, people in the back could like attack his weak spot. But the thing is, is um, the in single player, this boss would always follow the person that's being controlled, which is the only player who's playing the game. So what you'd have to do is like, because in single player, I guess I should mention you get to like, I forget what they call them, but you, you, you get all three of the links, uh, but the other two are just like statues and then you can like press a button to, to swap into them. So you're Wait, basically so just they- like toggling between the three characters. Yeah, you're basically gonna, moving I, I, three characters. I was going to ask, like, do the other two move at all? Like, do they even, like, follow behind you? Or No, they they're just statues. Oh, okay. They're, like, dolls or statues. Uh, I should have mentioned that. But, um, like, this boss, you basically, what you're supposed to do in, in single, or in, in three-player, is have one character, like, grab his attention and sort of, uh, you know, distract him while the others hit him from the behind. But in single-player, you kind of, like, move one character in front of him and then, like, quickly change to another character and try to get a, an attack off before he, like, changes his uh, aggro, if you will. And that was kind of tedious. There's another right. boss that is um, on a like, it, there's another boss that's on like a, it's like a gravity sort of uh, puzzle where it's like a, it's like a platform that uh, is unstable. And like, if you move to the left side, it'll tilt to the left. If you move to the right side, it tilts to the right. And obviously in, tr- in three player, your three characters, your three players should like stand on portions of this kind of wobbling platform to like keep it level. Cause you don't want it to tip over. But in single player, you kind of like you're like you're moving your other like statuary doll, like other links to like sit as points on the platform, trying to get it to stay level. So you're like always trying to like move these other characters around, kind of like weights while your main like unit that you're trying to attack the boss with is like running around. And obviously, as they move, there's a weight to it. So the, the platform will keep wobbling. And it's just like, man, this is not fun to play in single player. Um, yeah, I. I wish I'd known you were going to play it because I, I have it on 3DS. And I, I mean, I played it back in the day. I enjoyed it quite a bit, actually, in multiplayer. But uh, yeah, but that's, yeah, in multiplayer, yeah, that that game is really cool in multiplayer. But uh, yeah, that thing is impenetrable uh, solo. Yeah, so I just assumed I'm like, OK, I'm playing this game like six years late. <laughs> There's no one going to be wanting to play this with me right now. So I just went through it. Like I said, though, I do think it would be if you were able to get to play it like with a group you know regularly throughout the go through the whole game it would be really fun and you know the um uh the what was the other one the four swords adventure game was similar did you play the gamecube four swords adventure yeah i did similarly i played it in single player when you really should play it in multiplayer Uh, i just need some friends (laughs) i just need to play these games more when they release rather than six years later but um uh it's it's been a while, so I don't like remember for sure. But I it feels like to me that Triforce Heroes is even more I don't lopsided that you really want to play it in multiplayer uh, for Triforce Heroes. Both of these games you should. I feel like Triforce Heroes even more so. Just the way the bosses are designed and the puzzles are designed. There are a couple of puzzles as well. I won't like try to describe a puzzle here, but where it's just like this would be way easier if I could have like at least two people doing things at the same time rather than just me like toggling between characters trying to like do a puzzle um solo but like i i, I really only played this game just to kind of say i did because i was you know, like you know i played every other zelda game let me just play this one just to you know say i played every zelda game or whatever um 
but it was, you know, I didn't dislike, I didn't like hate it. It was just kind of like very consistently thinking, uh, I should have played this with other people. Um, so that's that. So are you completely caught up then? I've played every mainline Zelda. I mean, like I said, besides like the CDI or like, I haven't played some of the, like, uh, wasn't there a Zelda for like the saddle of you or whatever? Like the link of the past sequel or whatever that is. Anyone know what I'm talking about? What game is that? I'm gonna Google it now. Mm, yeah, I'm trying to remember. It, it sounds very vaguely familiar, but I'm like, what? It, was I that? think there was like an extra like link to the past, like dungeon. Let me see. Yeah, B- BS BS Zelda. What what is that? Bullshit Zelda. It looks like there's a handful oh, of... Okay, it's uh, an expanded version of The Legend of Zelda, the original game that was released for the Saddle of You attachment of the SNES. All right, so... Okay, so I haven't played those. All right, getting, well, you, you have to, like... You have to, like... You're at the bottom of the barrel now. These are the ones that are remaining, so... I want to hear about this next week. That's your homework. I'm not being serious. So now that you've uh, caught up on Zelda, uh, are you still doing other things on your 3DS with other games that you're trying to catch up on, or are you trying to get back yeah, to... Yeah, I'm on a Metroid kick now. I think I mentioned... I think I said, talked about this on a podcast a few weeks ago. I played the first two Metroid games. Right, you did. Uh, and so I was just like, hey, let me play Samus Returns. So just very briefly here. I played Metroid 2, like, not even two weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago. Um, Metroid 2 on Game Boy. I actually kind of liked, like, how it looked and how it controlled for a Game Boy game. The only thing with that is like the level design is a little bit different. It's very, very easy to get lost in that version because there is no map. Uh, and it's like you're, you're, you're playing on like a tiny Game Boy screen. So every kind of room looks the same. Um, and also it has like a different sort of structure than most Metroid games where you have to like defeat um, so many Metroids to kind of unlock new paths. But I played Sam's Returns on 3DS, which came out like five years ago. So I'm like on a five-year delay here. Um, at least. And that's a remake of Metroid 2. It shares a lot of the mechanics in terms of uh, it, it feels like if you mix Metroid 2 with Metroid Prime, it kind of has a lot of like the Metroid Prime uh, it's still a 2D game, but a lot of like the Metroid Prime like suit upgrades and look to it and music is all, all very Metroid Prime-ish um, with the Metroid 2 like structure and style to it. Uh, it's overall a better game than Metroid 2, I would say due to some things like how weapons work and whatnot. Um, there are some still, I'm still not hundred percent like sold on like the, this structure of like just defeating Metroids to the, to unlock the next area or whatnot. Yeah. Explain and that also, to me. Like it actually, okay. So like... you basically go into like a zone, like, you know, Metroid games, if you Metroid prime, there's like different zones that you're in, right? Biomes or whatever, but ra- yeah. yeah. But rather than like getting like a new piece of equipment to unlock, you know, some route to the next place, or maybe a boss to unlock a route to the next place here, it's like, You'll literally run into a Chozo statue or a, some statue. I think it's a Chozo uh, that it says like you. There are you need to get basically eight Metroid DNA to get past this spot. Oh, hmm. and then you have to basically explore the zone and find the eight Metroids, defeat them all, and then you go back to the statue and it basically unlocks the next spot. Like it's not terrible. It's just kind of like and eh, it's not my preferred way of like the, how these games progress. But that's how the original was. So the remake it makes sense that they'd keep that. You know structure to it um so did, that, that's, you, plan, did you plan on uh, playing am2r probably not okay i'll stick to the official releases maybe once i'm exhausted the official releases i will um so uh one thing about samus returns 
that it was sort of unexpected. It's not as hard as like the original Metroid. The original Metroid is like tough, very hard to avoid damage um, in that one. But Samus Returns, I was kind of surprised at how much damage you take from a single hit. You really want to avoid damage in um, Samus Returns. I feel like with Metroid Prime, even Super Metroid, uh, you you can get enough health that you have a, a little bit of like wiggle room in terms of taking hits. You don't have to be so careful because you can absorb some damage. In Samus Returns, I felt like uh, even if you get like lots of energy tanks, you just take a lot of damage getting hit. So you really want to avoid. I want to say getting hit, and, and I did play this somewhat recently, like in the lead up to Dread. I want to say that there are some attacks that later bosses do that take almost two full energy tanks out of you. Yeah, uh, there's a new boss they added to the to this game. I forget what he. I, I don't know what he's called actually. He's like a big like robot with like drill hands, and a digger uh, or something. Yeah, digger something. Uh, Diggertron maybe. And uh, he's not in the original game, so it's kind of just like a new thing here. And he, it's the sort of boss. He's not really that hard, but like the first time you fight him, you're probably going to lose just because you don't know his patterns. And you're going to get hit, and it's just going to wipe out like your health very quickly. So and you basically just have to learn the patterns and avoid getting hit, which isn't that hard to do. It just that's kind of like the balance of the game is that it really is just saying you don't get hit because you're going to take damage. I would it is, say it is dig or not a rogue yeah. chozo mining robot. <laughs> yeah. The one thing I would say about Sam's Returns is that it some of the attacks that you need to dodge are crazy strict, especially since you're playing it on a fucking 3DS. Like the yeah. final boss, there's some like bullet patterns or I got not even bullet patterns, but it feels like a shmup at some point. Um, I'll say this. Do you mean, do you mean the final boss or this penultimate boss? Cause I felt like the penultimate boss, the penultimate, the penultimate boss is harder. Yeah. Yeah. The final boss feels more like a victory lap, which that's fine. I, I'm fine with games having that. Um, so here's the thing with Sam's Returns. Uh, I tried to play it on my 3DS. I played like 10, 15 minutes of it. And I realized almost immediately, I don't want to have to play a game with this much uh, action and fast paced on a 3DS. And I, that was literally what got me to set up Citra on my PC, like dump the files on my uh, 3DS to get it working and the game. And I just ended up playing Sam's Returns on Citra because... I did not want to have to play that game on 3DS. I didn't want... Was it just bad performance gri- or what? Well, it wasn't performance. It was just... Controls. Controls, yeah. Oh. I mean, well, I don't know. I have really small hands, so when I play on the portable, it feels the same as me playing on the Super Nintendo, so that's for me. Adam, I do play I will. I, I don't want to linger on this topic too much longer, but I will say, like, Samus Returns compared to other Metroids, it does have more of a... It feels like it has more of, like, a combat focus to it i mean there's still like all the exploration but it is fast paced there is they added like a a melee counter i know some people argue that maybe there's a little bit too much focus on like countering um basically an enemy will like sweep at you and if you hit a button just right he'll basically get stunned with a counter and then you'll be able to get some hits in things like that so so does that mean that the next game you're gonna play is the metroid dread Actually, no, I'm going to play, well, it probably won't take that long to get there, but I'm going to play Zero Mission and Fusion first, but I know both those games are pretty short. Um, you can get those on the uh, Wii U eShop. Yeah, that's, I'm actually playing them on the Wii U right now. I was going to say, uh, have you tried Enter Metroid 2 Remake? No, someone asked that earlier, you might have stepped aside. Uh, yeah, I might play that like once I'm done with all the official releases, just because like maybe I want more. 
But I was like, I already played Metroid 2 and Samus Returns in like a two-week span. It's like, I don't want to play a remake of it right away or another version of it. But I'm going to play Zero Mission, which is a... Says you know, the guy who's played the first all one. the versions of East 4. Hey, hey there's, only three, <laughs> there's only three of those. Um, How many versions of Metroid 2 are there? Uh, three. Two official Game ones. Boy, <laughs> two official Game Boy I'm and just giving you shit. Three. Ignore me. <laughs> and the remake. But yeah, no, it's been cool to see like you... Kind of going back to series that you, I know that you've enjoyed the Prime games and you've uh, obviously whenever there's a new Zelda release, I think you've also been the one on the podcast to talk about the HD remakes of Twilight Princess and Skyward Sword for the most part, I believe. So I know that you've been pretty thorough on getting those. So seeing you get a chance to go back to fill in the gaps in the opportunity that you've had since you're in the middle of a move is pretty fun. So I don't know. It's cool to hear about it here on the podcast. It's also nice to play games that are not as long as RPGs as RPG, are. Yep. Oh, man. Oh, man. I've been feeling that this week. Uh, a lot of the games I played have been pretty short. Like Shrek to Yomi is one thing, but I also played Kirby Canvas Curse, which uh, we're not talking about that. The only thing I want to say is I am actually shocked at how difficult that game is. Like not even like difficult for a Kirby game, but like the final like world, the level design, considering the unique gimmick of your like drawing and whatnot, is actually kind of sadistic. Wild, but yeah. And then uh, I've I've already talked about it in the last two podcasts. So I won't do it here. Uh, Weird West took me about twenty hours, and it was kind of refreshing to not have to have a game end in twenty hours. So with that, we'll um, we'll hand it off. We'll keep going over uh, around the room here, and we'll go over to Josh, who he has listed that he has played a game called. Not words. I will yeah, be honest. K. Yeah, not uh, K-N-O-T. So mm-hmm. rope, not words. Yeah. Or string, not words. So what is what is not words? I have no idea what this is. I'm assuming that it's more of a puzzle linguistic game, but I don't know. Yeah, so not words is, you know, to, to, to you know, people have been talking about, oh, Wordle, Wordle. And you know, I'm like, that's mm-hmm. cool and all. But uh, not words is a, a, a lot more... It's a different type of uh, word puzzle game. It's like a it's like a logic puzzle, and how it basically works. It it, it, it if you if anyone wants to like see what it is for themselves, look at the, the Steam page for Not Words because it's way easier to visualize than it is to describe. But I'm gonna do. My I'm gonna best. pull it up right now. Yeah. So Not Words is basically like you're you're constructing this like uh, words together. Like almost like a, a crossword puzzle where a, a, a word has to be formed horizontally, vertically, uh, not not diagonally, just not horizontally and vertically, but it has to be all, in all ways at every direction of this word puzzle. It has to make a word. And how you get to that word is through different clusters or sections uh, in it. So you'll have this like word, like almost like a crossword puzzle, but they're all divvied up into like two to three to four word um, and sometimes in the trick, you run up to five to six letters uh, of these clusters. So let's say you have like this two cluster uh, space uh, that just has uh, that goes horizontally, and then at the, at the top left corner of that cluster it says W and O. So in that two cluster space, you can only use the letter W and the letter O in them, and they have to be in the correct position. Uh, for it to to work, so uh, you'll have to. Uh, so it's like a crossword. I'm just visualizing it right now as I'm looking right. at this trailer on the Steam page. So imagine a typical crossword, only instead of just being able to isolate rows and columns, it's almost like Tetris blocks. 
yeah, that almost, will cro- yeah. that that will cross over partial rows and partial columns, and you'll get a selection of letters that have to fit there to make the rows and columns spell out words. Yeah, and and and, and you'll see in the in those little clusters that like some of them have like letters at the top left corner, and then for that particular cluster, you can only use those letters. So let's say like the next two uh, letter cluster over by this W O cluster is just another two letter cluster. And it says D and R. And I'm just using the one that's in the Steam page because that's the easiest to conceptualize. So mm-hmm. obviously, when you when uh, like you you know, like because it's very simple, this this word is word, the 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 cluster that I'm making or the word that I'm making, because the, the there's these two clusters that only uh, allow for W and O, and the other one is for D and R. So you know that this one is W and O, and the other cluster is R and D. Because that makes the letter, I mean the 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 word word, mm-hmm. and the, now you now, now a pilot additional things like what if there's like a row, uh, the vertical row down from W, and then there's this and then there's a vertical cluster that has um, a D R and A uh, in that three uh, letter vertical cluster uh, that spawned off of W, then you're like okay D R and A. Well, uh, so, you know, you're thinking about it, and it's like, okay, word would work, and, and then so, and then you know, just like in typical crossword puzzles, you'll have different other branches that uh, go off of those um, that cluster to to make other you know words. So you know, you keep on piling on like, hey, there, there's this cluster like the, uh, vertically, there's this cluster horizontally, and no matter what, it has to make um, a word. And there'll there'll be uh, some puzzles uh, quite frequently later on where you'll have gaps in like the actual cross puzzle itself, like almost like holes, in which like you'll have to start thinking about like oh okay, um, one of like the easiest ways to like handle a puzzle first is to see where things might be at the very beginning is solving for those like little uh, hole uh, shorter words by that little hole. So like since every Direction vertically and horizontally has to make a word. That means those little um, spots where the holes are don't make like two letter or three letter words. So you'll have to think about okay, I should try to go find these two or three little uh, letter words first, so I can start getting some p like letters on the board to to serve as like my guiding post on how to like construct the rest of the puzzle. Like I said, this is very difficult to like describe. Like with it, only it makes sense. Words. I've been following along as you've been talking by looking at the yeah. examples on the Steam page, both in the trailer and as you just yeah. scroll down on the details. But yeah, mm-hmm. like I see based on the clutter, based on the clusters, that uh, there there has to be a two letter here. There has to be a two letter word here. With the first letter has to be F D or E, and the second letter has to be O D or R. And I believe that can only spell one word: do D O. So that basically you uh, have to. The, the, once you slot those in, that kind of process of elimination allows you to more easily slot the other ones in. But yeah, I could yeah. easily see why this game could be kind of addictive, where you turn it on and you start playing it, and then because I even I like we've all seen all the different Wordle, Hurdle, Quartle clones, and it, it gets a bit silly. But that I guess they're kind of popular for a reason because they're you know they're bite size. Even sometimes when I'm just bored, I'll just type in Quartle, which is like a, a two by two Wordle cross into my browser and just play that if I just want to kill like 15 minutes. 
or yeah, something so like the, that. This, yeah, this was made by a two-person team, uh, the, uh, Zach Gage and Jack uh, Schleisinger. I'm sorry if I butchered that pronunciation of that uh, name, but you know they're the list of developers uh, on the Steam page. Uh, on this, it's it's very fun. I've been uh, streaming it with friends, uh, two friends on Discord, and we like you know it's kind of like a group effort, trying not to use any hints at all during it, and it gets really tricky because like it has like uh, uh, new puzzles every month, and like you know they get progressively more difficult. Like you know, there's the first month that I've been playing it, but you know it shows like oh, there's 30 days left on this like handbook for or word book for April, you know. So you're kind of the encouraged to like you know. Um, Try to get through it as, uh, as thoroughly as you can, um, and then there's like it's 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 divvied up between like standard puzzles and tricky puzzles. And tricky puzzles, you know, they they kind they they're a little bit tougher. But what they they start throwing you into a loop where the the deeper you get, it'll start introducing kind of like more not necessarily rules, but like restrictions on like uh, how the puzzle is created. First, for example, you'll start getting puzzles. Where there are numbers outside of the puzzle that are uh, that span horizontally and vertically, so I'll say like uh, on the on the vertically zero one two one one zero, and it's letting you know that the the word that uh, on the x axis of it only has like two vowels or one vowel, so that's another restriction that you have to put that you have to keep in mind is like okay this the word on the y-axis and the word on the x-axis the the word on the x-axis only has one vowel but that vowel on the y-axis has to be placed at a certain location because there'll be some spaces vertically where it doesn't have a a vowel on that specific y-axis line and that's where it starts getting really really true like oh my god (laughs) your brain is like your brain is like uh you feel like you're either gonna like discover the truth of you of the universe or you're gonna die trying (laughs) i think this is the first time we've talked about like a puzzle like game i think it's the first time we talked about like a word game period but the last time we talked at all on this podcast about any game that was puzzle like in nature is i believe when it came out we had a very brief section on baba is you which i think was also something that that you played josh i didn't play it i don't uh oh it must have been someone else yeah but yeah i I definitely see it yeah we're kind of off the 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 trek of what rpg or rpg like or immersive sim or story driven games or even the action games that we bring on the podcast so it's really cool to have a chance to talk about something completely different and off the wall uh with the uh with not words yeah i i don't i don't know if this is available in anywhere else i all i know is it's available on steam for 12 bucks but if you're a real if you're if you're a fan of word puzzles at all like it is a really unique take on it and it's like and it's very very compelling and engaging like you know it is it is very well made. I, I'm very surprised by it. It looks like it does have Google Play and iOS versions. So okay, cool. So this is where I would talk about what I've been playing. But normally, I've just been finishing up Weird West, uh, which I've already talked about in the last two podcasts. So I will put up a review on the site hopefully within a couple of days. So keep a keep an eye out for that. Uh, Chow, is there anything that you have been uh, poking at in this last week that you want a chance to talk about? Well, I said I was only playing old games, so I've been. I mean, that's playing... fine. Adam's playing Zelda one and two in the last couple of weeks. Well, I've been playing Ogre Battle and Tactics Ogre. Uh, the reason why uh, I was playing those games because I heard about the 
remaster that was coming out. So it's uh, well, kinda, we don't um, know f- officially. <laughs> uh, not officially, but those kind of kind of re, <laughs> re- spark yeah. my interest. Them, right? The batting, just, just, just the to, batting uh, average for the Nvidia leak is like damn near 1.0. So I mean, it, it it's a fair enough assumption at this point, I'd say. But yeah, I've been playing over them. Uh, I haven't fully beaten it, but I do have a kind of a good memory of what happens in the game from what I played as a kid back when it was released on the Super Nintendo and and the PlayStation One. So yeah, like. I tried the One Vision mod because it's a unique take in the game because uh, people didn't really like the balancing of the the re- I would say the remake on the PSP. So this so is, what is the mod is, is the One Vision mod then is it mostly just a, a balance tweak or is it content or like what just at a high level what is the One Vision mod? It is um it is a content tweak with uh with mostly a balance patch, so everything has been changed from from the ground up. Like armors are no longer kind of useless, it, like it, it was in the PSP version. Um, that's like the biggest change that armor is no longer useless. Uh, the carrot the bows are a lot more harder. They're more tweaked. That you know, it's like how how do I say it? it's more balance of what's going on during that course of the game. Uh, but the end game is a lot easier. It's less grindy because the end end game is really grindy in the original PSP version because you keep trying to get random loot, which doesn't always work in your favor. And I'm, I, I'm currently, as you're describing this, I, I just googled it and found a Reddit uh, post from a few years ago, just detailing the differences between the One Vision mod and the yeah, original. It, and it's, it I, mostly seems like it's a lot of rebalance because, in a lot of these tactics types games, you can find a combination of class abilities equipment that kind of breaks the game open and basically tries to rebalance that so try to try to make so that uh certain classes are more viable and other ones aren't the end-all be-all which seems like always a pretty cool a cool way to approach these things does this mod do anything about so one of the only things i don't like about tactics ogre i love tactics ogre it's like probably a top tenner for me but one of the only things i don't like about it is that when you get a new class late in the game all of your other classes might be like level 30 but your new class is level one and you really just kind of have to literally say, all right, I'm going to spend an hour here just kind of catching up this class because they start at level one. Does the mod do anything about that? Mm, I can't, I can't seem to recall, but I, I, I could swore that there should be a note that said there's something about that. But yeah, uh, I mean, it's a lot better than what you had to do in the original Super Nintendo or PlayStation version still. Because in that one, it's literally... I mean, the leveling system in the original was just god-awful. You literally had to just go into training mode and beat up your own guys over and over to get your levels up, and it was just terrible. There's but, actually yeah, a been... post on the uh, Tactics Ogre Reddit from two years ago basically asking the same question that Adam just asked. Uh, basically saying, when you get a new character or class... They reverse to their level very low. It's like level one or level three. Is there anything that you can do to change this or mess this up? Do I have to put in hours of grinding in order to bring new classes up to speed? And it seems like the answer is yes, but it doesn't take that long. Uh, so it doesn't look like that was really like a focus of the address of the mod. So because the battles will scale to your highest level unit that way, if you just deploy a bunch of low level units, you can work around it. But it sounds like the answer to Adam's question is kind of a, a no with caveats. But yeah, so now if we do see a remaster, re-release, remake, whatever of Tactics Ogre, I assume that Chow will be jumping right on that. And Adam as well, I guess, if Tactics Ogre is a top tenner for him. 
Well, I have a reason I jump back into it because the original version has a very gripping story. And, and from what I remember, it was it takes place right directly after Ogre, Ogre Battle on the Super Nintendo. So that's also a reason why I was also playing as well. Like, I, I didn't really fully beat in the One Vision mod. I was just kind of, you know, testing, like, the beginnings of it. So I couldn't really give you a whole picture of a scaled patch. But the patch note is freaking massive on the changes. So It's always kind of cool to see like these. It's not quite a total conversion mod, but pretty damn close. That almost like there's there's a similar one for Fallout New Vegas. There's other ones for um, what was it? I think I think there's one for Final Fantasy Tactics. Just because once these games were released and have had years for people to kind of like pick them apart and know exactly how they work, how to exploit them, and then kind of reuse use that knowledge to revisit the game as it were, you know, potentially originally intended with these exploit options removed. So it's kind of cool to hear about this thing. And I guess it's very, very well highly rated on mod DB. So I I hadn't heard of this before. So it might be a cool, a cool way to revisit the game if you've already played it a long time ago. And before we wrap up the uh this kind of this classic game stock section of the podcast where we kind of go uh, in a bit of a different, different direction than we normally do where we normally talk about just new RPG releases. Uh James has one last what game listed here. Hmm? What a coincidence. We are talking about Tactics Ogres, a little bit of Final Fantasy Tactics. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about another uh, Matsuno classic, Mad World for the Nintendo Wii. <laughs> I had wow. No, totally unintended. I, I had no idea that he wrote this game when I started playing it. Because it's like, it's Platinum Games. Like, obviously, their stories can be fun. I mean, everyone knows Metal Gear Rising Revengeance and, like, how, like, Especially nowadays, Babylon's like, fall. So we'll we don't talk to, about that. Game. We'll, we'll, okay, we'll okay. get to that later. We'll get to that later. Um, Babylon's fall is uh, strongest soldier. Uh, but anyways, so Mad World, so Mad, Nintendo Wii, yeah, Mad World, yeah. Uh, here's a fun, funny thing. I played Anarchy Reigns last year, um, and it's kind of funny that I played that first because Anarchy Reigns is kind of sort of a sequel to Mad World. I say kind of, sort of, because it has at least like one half of that game's uh, story, which it does have a story mode. You play as Jack Kamen, who's the main character of Mad World. Um, so Mad World's a bit interesting in the sense that it's well, it's an it's a platinum game, so it's an action brawler um, with some sort of combo system, and it's like very arcadey, and you you want to get like a high score and all that. I didn't quite know like what the gameplay loop was for Mad World going in, but yeah, basically, yeah but it. basically the way it works is is that it it would be easy to fall into the trap where it's like, oh, you want to kill as many enemies as fast as possible, but no, that's not how you want to play the game. It's not about how many people you kill, it's about how you kill them. So you want to actually because there's like a combo like system. And it's not based off of how many enemies you kill, though there is part of that there. It's more like, okay, you can pick up a trash can or a tire or something and can slam it down on an enemy, and now that enemy can't really do anything. But then you can like grab like a, a caution sign out of the road and stab it through their neck. They're still holding on for dear life. They're like barely there. And you can pick them up and just like you see a bunch of enemies right next to a spiked wall. Just like throw them over your shoulder so that the person that has the caution sign stuck through their neck slash head 
and is like currently stuck in a barrel, it gets knocked into the spike wall along with three other enemies. It, it reminds and- me of uh, of Trapped, T-R-A-P-T on PS2, where you kind of like built like a kind of like a string of traps, and then the person would like fall into those traps, kind of like a, a domino effect of like one trap into another deadly trap into another deadly trap and like you're kind of getting almost like score multipliers on like how intricate that it's it's a machine of death and destruction it's great Mm -hmm. uh and also one thing that i was not expecting is how fucking hilarious like the the game is supposed to be like this kind of like game show aesthetic it's like it's a death game it's like the entire plot of it is that they're a terrorist group has taken over totally not New York. Uh, well, totally not New York city. Uh, and they released a pathogen and they forced everyone to participate in this uh, game show called death watch by saying you will die in less than 24 hours. Unless you kill someone else, come to uh, um, come to us with proof that you killed someone. We will give you the vaccine. That's kind of, why everything's gone to shit. That's why there's so many people killing each other. The story itself is generally pretty good, uh, as little of it as it, as there is. I mean, it's Matsuno. He, he obviously it he's very talented when it comes to this stuff. And there's like some really good scenes. The cutscenes are really good, even if they're simple. I, I just like comic love, style. I'm trying to remember some. Yeah, there, sometimes comic style is kind of like it's like old yakuza cutscene style if that makes sense where parts of it is fully animated parts of it are like kind of comic book like cut away with like some things that are animated some things that aren't that sort of thing Mm -hmm. um so the best way to put it is is that actually no the voice acting's really good i love the scripts (laughs) like there's this one thing like halfway through the game where uh jack well, early on in the game where Jack rescues this uh, civilian that ha- that's a doctor. And uh, when asked why he did, he says, well, I'm a firm believer in public health care. Isn't this the game that has the, like the two commentators throughout the whole game? Like, like Oh Don yeah. Maggio I was going to get and, there. Okay. Oh, yeah, they are so fucking good. It's like obviously some of the jokes haven't aged perfectly because I mean this came out in two thousand nine. A lot's changed, the times and whatnot. But for the most part, they're still absolutely hilarious. Oh my god! <laughs> and then like and then there's like a, a cool aesthetic to the game. It's like it's literally black and white, and the only other color is like red for the blood. If I remember, well, yes, there's red for the blood, and then when you kill aliens, their blood is blue. Oh yeah. Of course. Yeah, okay. I mean, obviously. Um, it, it's a very short game. It took me about four or five hours to finish. Uh, basically, each stage, well, the first two stages of each area are usually straightforward. You're basically trying to um, get the, your score high enough to challenge the boss of each uh, stage. Uh, and then the third stage for each area is just going to be a penultimate boss, which is a bit more involved, and uh, it's just the boss. There's no, like, uh, score attack to get to it first. Um, there's some stages where, uh, obviously, since this is a Platinum Games, and they they love their Afterburner, they love their uh, uh, Sega Arcade games, it's like, oh, you're on a motorcycle, you're doing this whole thing on a motorcycle, ramming into people, using the Wii Remote to... Uh, slice their uh, car their uh 
drivers in half and stuff like that. Yeah, there's a lot of Wiimote lag- waggle in this game. Most of the time it's fine, but I would definitely say there were a few moments where it got in the way of things. Uh, for some strong enemies and bosses, there's these QTE events called uh, Power Struggles where you need to match the controller movements on screen in order to deal a bunch of damage and not take damage yourself. Most of the time they work. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes the reaction times needed for them are fairly strict, which is a problem because you need to be fairly precise with the way you're waggling it or you get a missed input and you take you eat shit. <laughs> um, it's this kind of this game kind of came out at a time when I remember like people were desperate to find non Nintendo games, quote unquote, mature games for their for the Wii. And I remember it was Mad World and it was the conduit, which were like, see, the Wii can do serious <laughs> stuff. It can do like it can do it oh, can do that same thing as the Xbox and the PlayStation. And it's I don't know. It's fun. To, it's honest. fun to revisit. The, go ahead. I'll be honest. Even having played Anarchy Reigns, which is also fairly vulgar. I'll be honest. I think that Mad World might be the most like graphically like intense, not intense in the sense that it looks amazing, but graphically intense as in like the blood gut score and uh, how like just how how much swearing and how much like fucked up shit it says in dialogue like from the announcers most of that's the announcers for the dialogue stuff and it's a wii game it's like it's an m but it's like it, it's a hard m when it comes to the content itself it, it, it's it's really out there and it's like especially with all the stuff that you can do with enemies it's like i feel like a lot of games nowadays they kind of shy away for it's like oh you can dismember someone but it's not going to look like you're dismembering someone no here you get the chainsaw you cut someone in half you can there's a there's a weapon you can pick up that's a pair of two daggers and the finisher for that is that jack just pounces on them just continually stabs stabs them and you're like shaking both the Wii remote nunchuck like rapidly and then the finisher is he literally just puts the one of the daggers in the person's neck pulls really hard and you just see their spine attached to her head as he's fucking scalped them it's like so does it all feel like sometimes I feel like when games go too far in that direction, this might just be my personal take, but it feels kind of like, uh, I don't know, hokey or like too much or try too hard. But does the presentation here come across that way or does it all like feel like it belongs and is natural and is good? Oh, no, it, it feels like it belongs. It doesn't feel like it goes too far. It's it, like, it, it, like it's because it's the context of like a, a, a death game show. So it's, it's it is supposed mm-hmm. to be like more showy and more like for entertainment. It's like it's like it's like televised almost. Right. But yeah, a uh, very interesting game. Uh, I actually forgot how much I paid for it because I when I uh, finished the game and I put it back in the box, it's like, oh, I only paid five bucks for it. Five bucks well spent. Oh, so you actually played it like on a Wii? <laughs> on my Wii U. It's like uh, I oh, right. for whatever reason, I just decided to plug my Wii U back in recently. And it, uh, most of it is because of the virtual console news. And uh, there's a couple of DS games I've wanted to play that are on the vi- virtual console. Like I briefly mentioned Canvas Curse. Uh, I've been also starting playing through uh, Pokemon Ranger Guardian Signs because I never played that one back in the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll probably end up playing some DS games that aren't on the virtual console that way, too, just because. Um, if there's a lot of DS games that make <coughs> heavy use, use of the touch screen, which means that if you want to emulate them, you're inherently going to miss something 
if it like yeah. actively uses the touchscreen for controls. But a Wii U is basically just a giant Nintendo DS. So I mean, it's a who good knew way that we would mention games. Wii U so many times on this podcast? Homage to the Wii Not U. <laughs> Yeah, it's a very good game. It's not my favorite Platinum games, but it's like, man, what happened to them? What happened to them? It's so sad. (laughs) Potentially more on that later. All right. uh, As I kind of introduced at the top of this podcast, it's been a pretty light news week uh, with one major headline that's kind of an exception from, I think, last Sunday. Uh, Before we get into that, there are a couple of features up on the site that I want to make sure that I at least give a shout out for. Um, Last week on the podcast, we talked about Uh, a few articles from Scott White and put up some features about games that he was able to preview during his time at PAX East. As a reminder, those games that he uh, was able to look at that I shouted out last week was Symphony of War, The Nephilim Saga, WrestleQuest, and a non-VR version of Demio. Well, uh, this week he put up one other feature for an action RPG kind of in the vein of Diablo with with a superhero theme called Superfuse. Now, this game was only announced just like last uh, March, so just a little over a month ago. It's got a comic book aesthetic. It's got kind of the uh, cooperative gameplay loot grind system, and he was able to go. I don't know if he went hands on at Axe East uh, at PAX East, but he did get to check it out. Uh, it was. Uh, something that I think was one of his favorites of the show, and he was able to write up a, a feature about the upcoming Superfuse that he has up on the site. It's planning to go into early access before the end of the year. Uh, I don't know the details on that. It doesn't look like it's quite yet dated, but if, if, if you like superheroes, if you like loot-based games and isometric kind of Diablo-like games, if you like the comic book type uh, aesthetic and theming, uh, go ahead and give that uh, a read. It's up on the site. And I think it's the last one that Scott was uh, pending putting together from his time at PAX East. And then one other uh, feature that we put up on the site, we talked about the interesting port of the 2017 .hack last recode. It was originally released for, I think, PC and PS4 back five years ago and just got recently ported to Nintendo Switch, I believe, also in March. And then so our, our Nintendo Switch specialist, Cullen Black, was able to take a look at it and basically said, yeah, it's good. It's a good way to play the game. So if you have not played Last Recode or you're waiting for it to come on Switch, it released uh, just a, a little over a month ago. And it sounds like it's a great way to experience the game. And he's got his basically a review in all but name uh, up on the site for the Switch version of that game. I'm going to get back to playing that when my Steam Deck arrives. All righty. And then with that, with those features uh, shouted out, we will go into the news section. And then here is the uh, here's the headline for the week. The headline is, is that Embracer Group has agreed to acquire three of Square Enix's Western studios, including Crystal Dynamics, Eidos Montreal, and Square Enix Montreal. This includes the IPs such as Deus Ex, Tomb Raider, Thief, Legacy of Kane, and more. And the Embracer Group, this is former, former THQ, former Nordic Games, has been acquiring a bunch of studios over the last several years. But it seems like it's this is kind of like the biggest shakeup that they've had in a while. And obviously, it's tangential to our interest because it's grabbing a bunch of Square Enix's studios uh, from a Western perspective. So, uh, Adam, what do we think about... First of all, are there any details I'm missing about this acquisition that you were, were able to pick up in the press releases? Because there was a press release from both the Embracer Group side as well as the Square Enix side. I mean... Uh, let's see. The amount of the purchase was three hundred million, which, like, when you compare that to other acquisitions, 
recently. It seems like, okay, they picked up three studios, like a thousand employees, eight different locations and four IPs, like only 300 million. Like it feels like not a lot. Um, steal if you ask me and also uh like just as just as a point of comparison uh the embracer group and i don't even about a year ago they they acquired gearbox gearbox does borderlands um and they do their own publishing as well um i believe the amount for that if you like include everything like they 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 totaled it at 1.3 billion so like more than three times or four times higher then Here's some other points of studios. Now, granted, uh, Borderlands does sell a lot every time they make a new Borderlands game, uh, but still, it's just kind of like when you just look at that 300 million number, it just kind of feels kind of small. Uh, Microsoft acquiring Tomb Raider Bethesda was seven billion billion, and even- also, I guess before we move on too far, it's also worth mentioning that like this is not every uh, Western IP that Square Enix had. Like they've specifically mentioned that they Square Enix is still keeping Just Cause, Outriders, and Life is Strange for them. Uh, Who was the publisher behind those? Uh, Square like, Enix is the publisher. The developer of Life is Strange was uh, Don't 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 Nod Don't Nod. How do you pronounce it? I think it's and Don't Then Nod. the new, new the newest game was a different studio, Deck Nine Deck something. There's a couple uh, of Deck Studios. After yeah. Outriders is People Can Fly and Just Causes Aval- Avalanche. Mm-hmm. And Deck Nine did the uh, Life is Strange prequel too, if I remember right. Now, to be clear, none of those studios are like Square Enix studios. They're just, you know, Square Enix literally a publisher does a publishing agreement for these games that are Square Enix IP at these studios. So, but that's different from Eidos Montreal, Crystal Dynamics, and Square Enix Montreal. Those are those were full subsidiaries of Square Enix. Like they own those studios. Yeah, you know, they did, and now they no longer do. Uh, the, 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 the 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 Square e- uh, well, not Square Enix part, but like the, like at one point when they like got Eidos, like there was you know definitely talk of like maybe re uh, naming themselves like Square Enix Eidos or something uh, along those lines. I remember, I remember way back when, like, but they still kept it Square Enix. But there there was very real possible talk that they were going to add on Eidos to that name. So that'd be a weird. That'd is- be a weird alternate universe Square Enix Eidos. C S E E. I like to uh, have that universe of it's just called Squaresoft guys. So what what's uh what was specifically the reason that they mentioned for the uh selling the uh these uh studios off uh, Adam? Do we do we want to talk about this? Do we want those types of people in our comments? This is part of the this is part of the Square Enix uh, press release. This is this is news. Uh, I, All right, I, let me let me I just guess. read let me just read the press release like verbatim here. Purpose of the transaction: This transaction will assist the company in adapting to changes underway in the global business environment by establishing a more efficient allocation of resources, which will enhance corporate value. <laughs> this is very. Mm-hmm. Marketing speak by accelerating growth in the company's core business and digital entertainment domain. And here's the kicker: uh, in addition to the transaction, enables the launch of new businesses by moving forward with investments in fields including blockchain, AI, and the cloud, and so on and so forth. Fucking thanks. Remember, remember the Square Enix CEO letter early in the year. Mm-hmm. What it was literally like: Happy New Year from Square Enix. The metaverse mm-hmm. was a big topic of of, of importance yeah, was, in 2021 yeah, that immediately went into blockchain and uh, that was NFT. so funny how like just immediately after like a quick introduction it's just like blockchain like oh, I love I love the happy new year right after the happy new year it's the it's classic but 
Yeah, you know that that like that is that is the lip service they paid. Obviously, the there I I have to assume there's more forces at work that they're not mentioning uh, from the uh, offset here. But it the like you know part of the reason, and it lines up with what the Square Enix CEO was saying that hey they really they really want to make this metaverse happen. They really want to uh, start getting into the blockchain and seeing how where it goes. And, you know, and and metaverse also uh, you know encompasses AI and the cloud as well. So there is so much it, 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 around this whole incident. There's it is like, a, it is a weird thing, right? Because like you they, they literally gave up. All of idols that they had essentially to go, you know, part of it was ought to go all in on this uh, initiative, which is so weird. Um, okay, a few things I want to mention, just kind of like all this, all the small details. One, right. Crystal Dynamics previously announced like a month ago, it was sort of a soft announcement, but they basically confirmed we're making a new Tomb Raider. Um, so that's yeah, like agree, that's, that, that wasn't leaked or anything. They basically yeah. just said we're making a new Tomb Raider. And they still are, but now it's just going to be an Embracer game from Chris on Dynamics versus, you know, a Square Enix title. They, they also, uh, like, part of the, uh, there was a live stream, like, uh, early, I mean, uh, late at night that Adam and I were watching, where they had, like, a Q&A section where the very first questions of that Q&A was, where, where does this leave the the two Marvel games, Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy? And I, I, I'm forgetting the name of the representative in that uh, live stream, but they were with Embracer. Representing Embrace. The CEO is Lars Wingafors. Okay. He was he was actually there, like answering on on his own yeah. behalf. So yes, and they were very coy about it. But they say that they said that we're expecting to get everything that you know that these studios were working on. So it it, it, it they were heavily implying that you know the Marvel games would be part of this deal. But whether they'll continue to develop it is another question. Like whether there's like any if they intend to like move with Marvel to like a new game or project uh, they they uh wouldn't say one way or the other they're just saying they expect the, the they expect these games to be part of the deal but obviously like it's not 100 percent like confirmed on their end yet well, i thought guardians of the galaxy all- was kind of a single player standalone released wasn't getting still need like, to get a, a lot of post-launch yeah. support yeah, I mean it's uh, like even though it got really good like lip service, uh, you know, from like players and the and the press, uh, it, I don't think it sold that well from what I remember. Right, I, I blame Avengers for that. Like people yeah. were so burned after that that they didn't want to give I, it a chance. I think if you go back to a podcast like a little over a year ago, like I thought, I thought Avengers was going to be a slam dunk. I thought it was just a perfect title. I didn't, I didn't even, think, I wasn't even hyped for it at one bit. I, I was wasn't hyped for it because I'm not, I'm not interested in superheroes really. I, I think, but I, think I thought, I thought reason, it was too big to fail, and then it well did what it did. Here's the thing with live service games, like regardless of the fact that like uh, the the developer had never done one in the first place. Name a single live service game that came out and was in a good state at launch. Because I don't think there's been a single one. Mm. What about Genshin? How was Genshin at launch, Joe? Uh, it was fine. Okay, there was, was no server issues. That's the high bar. Fine. And people had a very uh, honeymoon phase with the game that they don't see the flaws until like a month later. So... Yeah, it usually, yeah, it usually takes a while for live service games to like really like unless it's like really like it's very uh, obvious from the offset. It does take like a few weeks for it to really settle in because a lot of people will go through a honey fa- uh, moon phase as they're progressing through it. But you know, it, it, it's very yeah, it's it's very rare for like a live service game to like 
come out like in a very I would say decently satisfactory rate because I, I think by their nature, like live service games feel incomplete when they launch, and that's by mm. design. I don't know. I, I'm always in this opinion that a product that's based on an existing IP isn't like a smash hit that you think it is. Like, I mean, there's plenty of Star Wars games. Do they like take off like massively? It's like, yeah, they, they are massive, but I don't think they're like crazy all the way to the peak pinnacle of products there and sometimes they even have kind of niche like let's just say star wars world squadron for example you know mm-hmm. like they're not gonna just immediately take off just because you attach like, a big name to it and that's how i see the marvel avengers game it's like i knew it was gonna bomb from the get-go well also for marvel people are uh attached to to the, the, movie sp- the specific yeah the specific disney movie implementation where if it like, feels if like I, it's <laughs> not attached sorry. to that then they don't they don't have any reason to be interested in it like i'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you brian but no like problem. let me ask you if you read the comic books does anyone even care about the tony stark from the comic books no probably not they care about the mcu iron man you know yeah for the majority yeah because that's that's the thing that's marketed up front to people like the the comic space will always have its the loyal fans that have but like they're admittedly a, a, a smaller circle than the people who watch the movies Mm-hmm. You know, but but people that yeah, there are people who care about the Marvel comics, uh, like the comic variants of these characters are just much smaller uh, than that. But so you know, talking about uh, Square Enix, uh, like one thing I wanted to bring up was like Square Enix is basically like business philosophy and mm-hmm. also like recent successes and failures. So Square Enix has three different basically units in their digital entertainment like section literally called a section and subsections i believe uh it is hd games mmo games and like browser mobile games uh so their mmo stuff which is basically final fantasy 14 is doing really well uh especially with endwalker last year they bring in a lot of revenue for the company both the paid purchases of the expansion and just subscriber numbers right uh, and their mobile stuff is doing pretty good too. Now they have a lot of mobile stuff, so I can't say like which is doing better than what, but as a whole, their mobile efforts are doing fine. But their HD game section has been struggling a lot. And that includes all the Eidos, the Eidos and Crystal Dynamics, not so much Granix Montreal, but those two obviously contribute to that with Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy. And they've even changed how they like report income for this unit because it more more often than not it is not bringing in revenue like literally they're like losing money on like quarter by quarter basis in this unit because they spend more than they're than they're getting back so that's probably a key reason why they decided it's not worth keeping these studios anymore cuz like they're not i think one of the uh one of the i think Jeff Grubb put it this way or one of those you know analyst type people say they could just put money into like an investment fund and they would actually get better returns than the amounts they're putting into these studios for to make games that's just how it's been. Uh, it's not just their Western side. Like, uh, for example, um, stuff like the Neo, uh, the World Ends with You didn't uh, didn't perform well, and they have a handful of these other Japanese games that may not perform as well as they'd like. But that's probably a big reason why they just decided to shift gears a bit to sell these and studios. They've, yeah, they've always had like weird expectations for those sales expectations for those studios too. Like, you know, people remember like the Tomb Raider reboot, even though it sold six million. Square Enix was still not pleased with that number. They were expecting like Call of Duty numbers. That's all. Yeah, but, Square Enix yeah. also has this is a slight different topic or a slight tangent here, but they have this philosophy in the last couple of years 
ever since Nier Automata, where they do a lot of like mid-budget game outsourcing to different studios like Platinum or uh, Acquire or uh, whoever did Octopath, I forget off the top of my head. Um, was that Acquire? Uh, but they, they outsource a lot of these like uh, games to other external studios. Um, there's the Bravely Default games, there's Neo The World Ends With You, and all these games near the near remaster. Um, and trying to basically get like Another relative Nier hits, relative hits, both near and near Automata. The remake was done by Toy Logic. But trying to get relative hits from these modded budget games outsourced. And they had some success there. I, I know they, they've claimed uh, Nier Automata is obviously a massive success, and that's what they're trying to like hit. That's the high watermark. I know Octopath did well. That was like $3 million. Um, The Trials of Mana remake, I know, did well for them. That was like more than $1 million, which was way more they, than they expected. But then other games, like I mentioned, The Older World Ends With You, not so much. Um, so that's kind of like one of their philosophies right now, and you, you've just seen that with uh, Triangle Strategy, Stranger of Paradise, and so on. And the upcoming like Live Alive, uh, Legend of Mana redo. There's a bunch of them. Tons. Wait, have, have they reported the sales numbers or initial sales numbers for Stranger of Paradise? No, I was just saying that oh, that's right. that that follows this philosophy of right. not a high budget game outsourced to a different developer to to develop a game for them mid budget. Um, and obviously, I don't know like the budget details. I mean, there are a lot of inference here, but that is just something that Square Enix has been doing a lot recently. Square Enix's best successes by far, and this is, this shouldn't come as a surprise, besides the MMO, are like Final Fantasy VII Remake and Kingdom Hearts Three, Like, they're really big, like, high-package, like, premium titles. But they have a hard time just, like, they can't rely on that alone. So... Well, I think the problem is they have a very long development cycle. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so... That they're trying to get revenue in other ways. Obviously, the MMO is doing really well for them, um, but like they're looking into NFTs. They have some million Arthur NFTs already, uh, blockchain and whatnot. So market collapsing, right? I don't know what they're planning on. Like you know, where they actually will like I think in about a week or so they'll have their uh, their fiscal results for last you know fiscal year, and we'll see. We might get some more details about like future uh, you know outlook, but. The other HD section has been kind of wobbly at best. So that's that's definitely a key factor to why they sold off these Western studios because that's what they did. Uh, so that's my take on it anyway. But there is also like this other rumor that where they were thinking about being acquired by a different studio uh, and Sony. That's, that's the other rumor that was speculating. I think like Sony speculation for Square Enix has been rumored ever since Microsoft first acquired whoever that it was they acquired before Bethesda. Uh, Bethesda. Obsidian, Obsidian and in exile. Yeah. Yeah. He's the, like, well, that they're going to goes off that they want to offsell these uh, Western studios. So they have a lower baggage so that it's easier to be acquired or something like that or some crap like that. Uh, the, the reason why I don't think so uh, square Enix is looking to be acquired, especially not by Sony is that like Sony, you know, obviously they have their console and their PSN services and all that. But um, like PS Plus and whatnot. Uh, but their Sony's first party output is really like these premium packaged, polished to a sheen titles, where like Square Enix is kind of like on the opposite end of the spectrum. With a lot of their output is, you know, they release more like every year than most companies, other than like Nintendo, <laughs> for like a third party. Like Square Enix releases a lot of games if you count and they're and they're diversified they across multiple PC storefronts, Switch mobile titles 
Yeah, so I it just seems like will all of those games become like Sony games or like Sony exclusives? And I'm talking things like Voice of Cards, Act Razor, Live Alive, Tri- uh, Triangle I, Strat. Like that would be a lot if, Squ- yeah. if Sony all of a sudden just like takes care of all look, that. I, I'll just say this, and I feel like maybe it's a little bit mean, but I, I just absolutely do not trust anything that Greb has to say. And the fact that this rumor is attached to him makes me think, if anything, it's more likely to not be true. Uh, the only thing that I will say that's kind of different here is that he has outright mentioned and he's gone on to like kind of clarify that he thinks that it's possible that the rumor he was hearing was about Sony possibly bidding for the Western studios that were just sold to Embracer, which I can buy that because it would gel with Sony's output. Yeah, I, 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 I can see that being, yeah, like that, yeah, that yeah, seems yeah, a better possibility. Yeah, you really have to think about like, especially with Sony, like acquiring stuff, like Sony always acquires with like with purpose, like in terms of like what, what, what can this like, sir, Nexus uh, like, and Bungie. Right? Yeah, but we have a company provide us like in the a bigger picture of things with Nexus, obviously with PC porting and they're, you know, streamlining that process and relying on, uh, you know, the expertise of Nexus to do that. And then with Bungie, it's to get into the live service space. Uh, help expand that more while Bungie, what Bungie gets out of that is uh, the access to Sony resources to go beyond just games, like go to like multimedia with like maybe TV or movies uh, mm-hmm. in that respect. So even like, I don't it, like what, what Adam and Brian were saying, like, I don't really know what Sony would get out of Square Enix specifically for them to grow their business in, in a way that just uh, is more than just like making games. Like in those other, in those other ones, it's like getting access to the PC space and getting access to like live service uh, prospects in the future. What can Square Enix provide Sony if they were to be acquired? You know, and who knows what the what, and, that, and it could be just, just as simple as okay, like Square Enix is really good at merchandising their IP. Like maybe you know, the, the, like obviously this would not be the case. I, I'd be very surprised if this was the case. But like if Sony somehow. Like targeted Square Enix or identified Square Enix as like, hey, if we bought this company at a reasonable price, maybe they would help us uh, do better at like merchandising our IP because they have an expertise at it. You know, that would be along more of those lines, more so than just like, oh, they have cool Japanese games that they release. Yeah, it feels like that's kind of as far as some people think. But I do like uh, the merchandising angle seems like a kind of a plausible one, even though I know it was just kind of off the cuff and we don't have any inside knowledge at all. And it always seems like these acquisitions are a surprise to everyone i don't has it ever been a case where an acquisition was rumored 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 lingered rumored and then actually happened i don't think so <laughs> I, I don't know this question never seems to come into mind but does anyone know about the square enix like book publishing department yeah i i like the square enix has manga under it sometimes they have like official like like you know lore books yeah they yeah. got like very successful in that that kind of branch it's like maybe maybe that could also even you know, yeah the I final mean, fantasy so 15 promised future book or whatever it was that had like all the yeah. other dlc like wrapped into it read a god of war manga adaptation there you go <laughs> wow who knows i mean sony has basically acquired the entire anime market I, I think that's like basically like what we can say right now on the embracer group uh square and then these studios from square enix purchase like that they've you know it's it's a very it looks crazy but then when you try to put it the perspective of like how much uh we're how much profit did these uh, studios really uh, get for Square Enix over time? It's like, mm, not many, according to Square Enix's eyes, and that's understandable. 
I think I think this is I think moving forward, hopefully, this is a net positive for people because you know I would I would assume Embracer Group wants to re-release and re-release uh, re-release not only like older titles like from the Legacy of Kane series and like you know get them like HD remasters, but I would assume they're also interested in like giving these developers freedom to like say say hey you know you don't we don't have the same expectations as Square Enix to produce like block. Buster Hollywood like games left and right like work on the projects that you want to and here we'll give you the funding and the resources for them and hopefully what that turns into is like hey there's new games for Legacy of Kane and other you know and, and Thief and other just like IPs under these development studios that they haven't been able to visit in a long time because of Square Enix in my opinion, I just think that Square Enix is, they have like amazing IPs, but I just feel like the company is easily mismanaged from how large it is. So, so that's my take on them. Yeah. Hey, yeah, Metaverse. It's coming. I mean, it's, a, it's not, it's, it's not uh, hard to see that the, there are definitely some, some mismanagement woes at Square Enix with some of the news story, one, one particular news story. I mean, the last president was kind of a nutcase. I mean, the CEO. I mean, he moved to a different location just because the fortune teller told him to. <laughs> yeah. There are two other small bits of Square Enix news. These are not about the acquisition. These are just kind of alongside. Uh, one of them is, I almost forgot this happened. Last year in September, during a Nintendo Direct, ActRaiser Renaissance was shadow dropped. It was shadow dropped not just on Switch, but on mobile and PS4 and PC as well. Did anyone end up playing this? I did. All right, because... Is it uh, just me? It was just you. Know, I wanted. I wanted to get around to it, but maybe it's time with with this new story coming up. All right. So Square Enix has released a new update to ActRaiser Renaissance, which basically tweaked the gameplay balance, added a mode that allows it to play more like the original ActRaiser, add some new musical tracks by the original composer. It had added some uh, tweaks for like what outfit you're able to wear in different scenes or things like that. Um, I don't know if you took a look at what this trailer was. It's about a just a minute long trailer about this kind of the stealth unexpected patch for Renaissance. But I don't know. How did you end up feeling about your time with that Razor Renaissance? I think it was pretty good. It's not a masterpiece by all means. Um, I think the worst thing was the siege battles uh, that happens when you're trying to protect a town. They just come in and you just got to play this kind of like tedious tower defense mode that. I don't know. I, I'm never a fan of tower defense, to be honest with you. I, I well, can't stand they have those reduced, kind of games. It looks like they've uh, kind of reduced the requirements to complete certain objectives in siege mode, as well as after completing the game, you can skip previously completed siege battles. I don't know if that really helps you on your first time through, but it, it does yeah. look like they've, they've addressed the sieges a little bit in this new patch. Yeah, it's very tedious because it takes very long, and you're just like, no, I just want to get back to the sim. I don't give a crap about your stupid uh, tower defense mode, you know? It's not like you uh, live with consequences too. It's like, oh, you have this character like died in in the tower defense. It's like, oh, well, he's back anyways. It's I, I think I think it's funny. The the funniest thing about this like update is they also like they they added the option to toggle off stuff like backstabbing combos and rising strikes and stuff, and like just make it combat way more reminiscent of the original release. I, does that does that matter to you at all, child? Like, Hell, uh, no, not really. I mean, <laughs> like, character just, already moves completely different. Like, I don't see how this is like a big change that will save the entire game in the action mode, right? But eh, oh yeah, but I, th- I think the most important part here is that there's new uh, there's new Yuzo Koshiro music, and that's yeah, always welcome. He's a he's a god tier composer, in my opinion. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's that, that's always one of the like if if your patch has even if the patch is just like new music by Koshiro, it's like all right, there's already a really good patch for the game. <laughs> if there's just that, A plus. But you know what I'm really looking forward to? If they actually remake the sequel, the sequel can definitely use a remake. They, I don't think they, I don't think we ever got sales numbers for Act Razor Renaissance. I wonder if they'll uh, bring that. That's true. I wonder if it's successful or not. But considered that you know there's a patch update, obviously there has to be at least some care put to it. Yeah, right? uh, man, I'm really interested because, but that'll inform us of like whether the well, developers Sonic powered if they're gonna move forward with remaking the Razor 2 which is you know, I'm just gonna cut you off Josh but yeah. uh, is, do you know if Balan Wonderland received big major patches that changes the gameplay um, no I think it only got like technical patches like this to uh, make it run better I, I don't think it ever got like uh, patches to like add new content to the game post launch uh, I guess that tells you sales numbers maybe like a speculation at least yeah. Um, but consider yeah. all the rumors going on. I mean, we got Yuji Naka doing a lawsuit against Square Enix. Yeah, that's, <laughs> a, that's, just a, that's just a whole thing because, you know, yeah, it's a whole other um, can of worms because, you know, it's not, it's not always a one sided thing. But it's a. Hopefully, justice is seen, like, you know, to, to both ends of that. Like, you know. This next headline is admittedly a little bit clickbaity, but. Babylon's fall. We've kind of been teasing it, like literally and figuratively. Uh, we've, we've kind of talked about on the podcast before how the struggles of the games, struggles of Platinum Games with producing this title about Square Enix's support of it. Even Josh wrote a preview of it about calling it Square Enix's next big blunder. Uh, it hit a new low on Steam, which keeps track of concurrent players. Uh, it seems like at one point on May 4th, only one player was playing Babylon's fall throughout the you know, worldwide on the, on that service. So it doesn't, we got the news from platinum games a few months back saying that there is no risk according to the, the to the developer for shutting down the service or not proceeding forward to those are, who are playing the game, but it just does not seem like it's doing very well or finding much of an audience, which is unfortunate, but also kind of not a surprise. Yeah, I, I wish we had numbers for like how it's doing on like the PlayStation platforms uh, because you know Steam, Steam charts is one thing, but it only it only tells one side of the story. I wish there was a a better way to see what the the uh, the PlayStation numbers for this game looks like. I can't imagine it's much better, um, but it's uh, you know I, I I can't I can't I can't keep on saying that like I'm not surprised you know, but I got hands on with this game before it released. You know, I was like. Things need to change, or else this is not uh, go well for them. And lo and behold, you know, uh, things aren't shaking out. E- even despite their uh, "is the continuing service in danger" uh, tweet uh, a few months back. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess the wording of that was specifically there was no plans to reduce the scale of development on Babylon's Fall. But you know what? If it's hamaging money, you can always cut like the that, like, off. Like, like, I have to imagine it can't be a good look. I can't imagine like Square Enix looking at this and being like, even with the near automata collab, it's not bringing in the players that we want. That's crazy. You know, hey, it's like, you know what they say. You know, I remember back then when Bravely Default came out for the first time in Japan, and this game, like, I think it outsold or nearly outsold Lightning Returns. 
And they're like, Lightning Returns is a massive success, but we're not quite sure about Bravely Default, though. You know, it's like shit like that they always say. It's like they always defend more of their stuff that, you know, they pour, pour too much money in, but they wouldn't stick up for other stuff that they work on. Do you, do you think they're going to address Babylon's fall at Square Enix Financials next week? Hell no. Of course not. They'll just branch it as like, oh, it's part of our life service division, like our MMO. See how good it's doing <laughs> with like Final Fantasy fourteen numbers attached to it? Oh, no, bon- I'm, not the, I'm not the first there. person. I'm not the first person to say this, but like the way that capitalistic companies work in this sense is that they're also focused on the year by year for fiscal like purposes. And the reason why they actually release Babylon's fall in March rather than like in April is because they can kind of just like basically hand wave it. And then like, all right, we're in a new year, new year, new titles. And like, if they were to release it in April, then they'd have to like provide like updates on it throughout the fiscal year. Uh, sure. But they dump it off in March, and then they basically just kind of give it. They they might mention it briefly, but they have to talk about the whole fiscal year, and then like they don't have to provide guidance anymore on it because they'll we're all of a sudden in a new fiscal year. Like that's literally how it works. Is people are like, all right, year's over, now let's talk about the next one. So that's one reason why you get a lot of March releases. They're the ones that can kind of hide from the fiscal reports and from the shareholders. Well, all that and also if you want to just like, if you're trying to release a new game and you, you need a, a revenue boost, uh, do it before the end of the fiscal year. Well, past all that Square Enix news, both on the Western front and those two updates to ActRaiser and I suppose Babylon's Fall, uh, all the rest of the news on the podcast today is just a couple release dates and a couple ports and uh, previously announced titles. So the first one is for the one-on-one mecha game Wolfstride. This is a game that Josh talked about briefly on the podcast when it was had a demo as part of one of Steam's summer or spring festivals when they allow you to have those uh, free demo access. It released on PC late last year. It will also be releasing on Switch in May on the 10th in North America and 12th in Japan. Outward Definitive Edition. This is the, the new version of the game that Wraps in the Soroborians and Three Brothers DLCs, which released since the original launch of the game in 2019, are being packaged together in like a gold edition of the game. And it will be releasing on May 17th for PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X, and PC. I actually do have some interest in this one. Um, I don't know if, like, there's so many other things I need to get to, but like, I've heard good things about this game. And uh, I know you can play like the whole thing in co op, which is, you know, interesting. And Adam's like, but I will play it by myself because that's what I do. No, I was actually hoping, I was actually wondering if you'd want to play with me or something. I, I played the original <laughs> game in 2019 and it was it was good, but kind of like it felt kind of thin. This is, this is revamped though. They're, they're, they're doing a bunch of game balance changes. And, and I haven't played with any of the DLC, so it might be fun. Go. And then uh, I guess there's kind of the, we already talked either last week or the week before on the podcast about or maybe it was more than a couple weeks ago anyways recently we talked about the printy presents nis classics volume three this is the one that contains la pucelle ragnarok and rhapsody a musical adventure uh, we got a release date for it it will release on august 30th in north america and then in early september in europe and australia for uh switch and pc i believe for switch it's the probably worth month. mentioning that the second collection comes out like next week right which, which is and Makai that, and Kingdom is and ZHP. ZHP. So like they're going to be they're releasing like, kind of like these two duos, four games, relatively close to each other. But I do want to get to some of these like classic NIS titles, and I'm glad they're going to be available on PC. I'm not too upset that they're more like ports than remasters, really. 
Like, I just want to have an accessible way to play them, and here's an accessible way to play them. Like, I'm, I'm interested in Soul Nomad, which came out last year. I haven't gotten around to it yet. I'm interested in Phantom Brave, which I started, like, five years ago and haven't finished. Uh, so I I don't know if they have a whole lot more, and they're, like, I don't know if NIS has a whole lot more in their, like, PlayStation 2 PSP library that needs to get ported. I'm still waiting for Disgaea 3, although the longer that I wait, it seems like it's not going to happen. But I'm interested in these in these titles, and I'm glad that they're putting the effort to, to at least port them to like modern platforms. I also forgot to mention we we didn't know that there was going to be English voice acting coming in for La Pichelle. and I think one of the readers corrected us that there is English voice acting coming, and I think the trailer even shows you that there's voice acting in in there. So, okay, so yeah. Like, the only thing I'm not quite too sure is, I mean, I remember the original game was being licensed by uh, Mystiv in in the West. It's like, did they acquire that the rights to use that cast again, or did they? Uh, we don't know the original like localization license, and maybe Mastiff's is uh, uh, the license of the localization. Maybe it, maybe NIS owns it. I don't know how that. You know, we don't know exactly how that worked. So, I'm, I'm curious to see where that goes. I know one person asked, I think, on Twitter, like, they weren't too fond of the original localization for La Pucelle, which, again, was done by Mastiff a long time ago. Uh, like, is the new one going to be updated? It's like, well, I don't, I'm not sure. I don't think any of us are planning on reviewing it. Uh, I know this version has the new PSP content. Well, it's not new anymore. It's new to us because it was never localized before. So, like, that'll obviously be new. But are they going to do an editing pass? They have it. They have before on similar sorts of releases, but we don't know. I, I only remember Mystiff like did one thing, which probably bugged a lot of the people. It was like they censored this one character in the Western release because character's always smoking a cigarette and they changed it to like a lollipop or something. I don't know. They were or blanked out or something like that. That's like the only thing I remember or something. There was a character being censored. I had to look it up which one it was. What game was that? Left Shell. One of the characters uh-huh. was censored in the Western version. Well, I think a lot of this is so difficult to ascertain right now because we've got barely any gameplay clips uh, as mm-hmm. it is, you know, so it's hard to say anything definitive until like the, the, the releases actually come here um, and we get our hands on, on, on them. You can only tell so much, but like, oh, it showed like in like seven seconds in this trailer that, uh, you know. But it is interesting that like, I didn't mention this, but like Makai Kingdom, which is coming out again this week, that also is got new content for the West because it's based on a version that wasn't localized before. And so mm-hmm. is La Pucelle in the, in the third collection. Uh, so it's just kind of, you know, these games are not, it's just kind of interesting that these small little NIS games with PSP content from, you know, a decade ago or more, like we're finally being able to get that content in the West, you know. Like well, there's definitive these... version of, uh, like editions, like they're not holding anything back for them, um, it, because it, it's easy to just take the easy way out and just have like the original releases, and like okay, well, I guess. So I, I'm, I'm glad that they're 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 t- going the extra mile of making sure that this is actually the definitive release, no holds bar. Yeah. Last thing I'll say is I know some people are like. It seems like some of the response or reviews to these sort to these collections are a little bit mixed because they are really more just they have they've like updated some of the UI elements, but like the sprites themselves are untouched, which honestly I think is a good thing. Like 
they're not smooth or, you know, gone through some filter, but they, they really do feel more just like, you know, more like ports with some small enhancements versus like a full remaster, which is, you know, fine by me. I'd, I'd rather have that than nothing at all, where it's like, oh, if you want to play La Pucelle, you have to, I guess, I think that was on, I think that's on PS3 digitally, the original version, if you want to get it. But the fact that you'll be able to get it on Switch or PS or uh, Steam, that's good, but fine, good by me. And I guess the final bit of news that I'll just mention kind of in closing here is that during a presentation about a update to the mobile game near reincarnation with, I believe it was a crossover with final fantasy 14 characters. Uh, producer Naoki Yoshida gave a tiny update for the, the upcoming final fantasy 16 about how the, the status of development. And there was some like translation uh, fogginess about how far along the game was. And then uh, I think it was Twitter user, Audrey who kind of maybe oversold what was originally stated and then had to backpedal and clarify But it seems like once that all shook out, the end result is that there is seemingly a trailer that is nearly complete about presenting the status of the game to us waiting fans. If I remember correctly, they said they were going to have an update last year in 2021. Mm -hmm. But we got like a small little update on like localization, like it's being done in English first, basically. Yep. Um, And they they said there's going to be an update this spring. Now, if you want to get technical, spring lasts until the middle of June. Uh, so, like, I could see there being a trailer of some sort if there's, like, a Square Enix sort In of event. Yeah, like an E3-ish event. Obviously, E3 itself doesn't exist. But, you know, I'm not saying it's going to be, like, a massive blowout trailer, but I could see there being something. So, I'm not, you know, the fact that if this if Yoshida in this translation says they're working on a trailer, like, okay, that, that seems to check out with what we've heard in the past. Okay. Final Fantasy 16, most anticipated game of 2022. Yeah, I, I guess to also just clarify, you know, like the the FF14 uh, collab with Near Reincarnation is the Near Reincarnation's like original game characters specking or like having outfits from FF14 jobs, not necessarily characters. It's just mm-hmm. like the jobs from FF14 will be in the game for some original uh, characters and the uh, and again, there's also like a like a boss fight with Hades from FF14 in it. And you know, for people who know what that entails, that means there's going to be actually additional lore uh, from FF14 represented as like a, a story in your. I'll tell you that Hades is the most popular character in Final Fantasy 14, and I will simp for this guy. Oh, a lot of people will either probably just watch the cutscenes on YouTube, like reasonable people, but some might actually install the game to see it for themselves. And that covers us for news for this week. So a little bit of a hodgepodge week. We have a couple games releasing, well, mainly one one major game releasing next week that we're interested in talking about. And we have those two, uh, Anise, Anise Classics Volume 2 releasing. We've got the Aiden Chronicles. We've got a couple of those ports that we talked about earlier. So it'll be interesting to see like what we end up uh, getting around to by next week's podcast and what we're able to discuss there once we're free from uh, embargo restrictions. Uh, the features that I called out earlier in the podcast are up all, all up on the site, including Scott's preview of Superfuse at PAX East. We've got a few of the articles uh, such as the, the Babylon's Fall news, the Final Fantasy 16 news about the trailer, and all the new release dates are all also up on the site. You can join our Discord at discord.gg slash RPG site. You can also find us on all the social media channels. Just search for RPG site on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. 
And we'll be back next week with another episode of the TetraCast. So until next time, stay safe and take care. We will talk to you then. Wow, no closing comment? Did you want me to mention blockchain at the end?